oh, look how pretty you are. Such a pretty little girl. Little what, which you know, is so hard because she's thing. so pretty. Welcome back to Writing in Real Life, a podcast about writing, parenthood, publishing, and marriage. I'm Morgan Baden. With me is my husband and my co-host, Perry Liga. Wow. For a second there, I thought maybe you forgot. <laughs> I did. <sighs> that yeah. hurts. I can't lie. That hurts. No. I, I don't know. Anyway. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. Good. So I, I came across this article this week, and I want to talk about it. Okay. And the reason it, it struck me so much is because... As you know, and as I think most of the listeners know, uh, I was previously agented. Yes. And for a contemporary YA. And I really loved that book. When it went out on submission, it didn't go anywhere, basically. I got a couple of R&Rs and then ultimately nothing. And um, later, when I was writing my next book, which is the one that's currently out with agents... Uh, you and I had a conversation about how this book was so much better and how this was a better debut book anyway, because this would be, you know, my first book under right. my name. Um, and we had a, a very brief conversation about how important debut novels are. Then I read this article from Entertainment Weekly, which was called Publishers Are Betting Big on Debut Novelists. And it's all yeah. about the like recent many, many, many six-figure deals that have been happening recently for debut novelists. Not necessarily YA, by the way. Uh, you know, lots of adult writers, too. But So I just want to talk about the importance of a big debut, because I do feel like now there's this new pressure for not just there's a pressure to get an agent, there's not just a pressure to get a deal, there's a pressure to get a huge deal right. if you're a debut. So did you feel like that when you were first starting out? You know, I didn't know enough... Because I wasn't entrenched in the industry yet. I didn't know enough to to want something like that. Um, I wanted to make enough money that I could do this full time. Okay. That was my main thing was, mm -hmm. can I make enough money at this to pay my bills so that I don't have to be doing something else? And, you know, my, my story, though, is that, you know, I had read somewhere. And, and th the thing is, there's no good information out there about this topic. But I had read somewhere that the average first novel advance for an unagented author was $5,000. Okay. That's what I had read somewhere. Now, it's very difficult to get a novel published if you're unagented. Right, yeah. So I don't know where that number comes from. Huh. I don't know how real that number is. But anyway, that was the only, the only information I had at all to go on. And, of course, I had an agent. And I thought to myself, well, hey... If she gets me twice that, <laughs> I'm coming out ahead. Yeah, that's ten grand, and even with her fifteen percent taken out, that's still eighty five hundred. I'm still ahead of what I would have gotten. Yeah. the five grand, and that was all I could really have in my head, hmm. because again, there I, I had no frame yeah. of reference whatsoever. And then we got the first offer on Fanboy and Goth Girl, and I will say I'll share this. It was twenty five thousand dollars. Okay, and I thought. Amazing. Five times, yeah. like five times what, you wow. know, and, and, and then, and then there was an auction and bidding and it went up from there. But, but that was my, my wow. first reaction. Yeah. However, $25,000 is not really enough to live on. No, it is not. So while I was excited that, that I had, you know, hit a five X multiple on this particular, um, slot machine, I, there was still the fact that, oh, I'm, this is not going to make enough yeah. money. Um, and of course, 
when all was said and done, I was lucky enough that I did make enough money to do it full time. And I've done it ever since, but I didn't feel that pressure. I just wanted to get a book published. Okay. I was just desperate to publish a book and, and, and start this career. And so I didn't really think about that much. I, I think this is interesting because I, I, I think this is sort of a story that isn't a story. Uh-huh. Okay. I really do. I feel like publishers have always that believed mm-hmm. in the debut author. Yeah. And I, I think there's a few reasons for that. I think one of them is that once you've been doing this for a while, like I have, for example, you have a track record mm-hmm. and you know, what most people don't know. I mean, I think a lot of people like to assume that, for example, you write your 10th book and bookstores look at it and go, wow, this is a great book. Let's order X number of copies, but that's not how it works. They look at it and they go, this is a great book. What did his last book sell? Yeah. And they look at what your last book sold and they go, okay, we'll order two thirds of that. Wow. And so unless you, you know, so yeah, you want to open big, you want to have a big (laughs) debut to give yourself some room to come down. Yeah. You also, you know, you need to to sort of hit the jackpot and, and at some point, um, you know, have some spikes in your career so that if they look at it and say, we'll order two thirds of that, it's still a a significant number, a substantial number, a good number. Um, you know, is that true? Two thirds. That's what I've heard. Wow. I mean, I'm sure there's no, I'm sure there's no hard and fast rule, but roughly the way it works is they look at what your last book did and they order a multiple of that. And the multiple is a fraction, not a whole number. Got it. Okay. Um, because, because they never sell out, you know, like if they ordered a thousand copies of your last book, they probably sold 900. Yeah. Okay. Which means they either got stuck with a hundred or they had to send a hundred back to the publisher for credit, which yeah. they'd rather not have to do. So they're going to look at your new one and go, Oh, we sold 900 last time just to be safe. Let's order okay. 800 yeah. this time. Okay. Now, the problem, there's a lot of problems with this. The big one is that if there's only 800 books on the shelves, you're never going to sell 900. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and nobody thinks this way. Yeah. Nobody cares. But if you're a debut, they don't have anything to go on. So they have to base it on the quality of the book. Whereas once you've got a track oh, record, they have okay. something else to base their opinion on. Yeah. They can go, I love this book. This This book is the most brilliant book I've ever read. But... His last book didn't sell well. So even though I think this is a brilliant book, I have a number versus a feeling. I'm going to go with the number. And if all you've got to go on is the feeling with the debut, then, you know, you you, you can have a, there's a a chance that they're going to take a little more of of a risk on you. Yeah. I also feel like just generally too, people like new things. So like well, that's anything the other that's marketed as like debut, sure. this brand new author, yep. first it's, ever. It's yeah. new. It's sexy. I mean, you know, it, it, what, what was the bit from Mad Men where um, one of one of Don Draper's jilted lovers um, said to him because he was moving on to another woman already, <laughs> like like they hadn't even broken up yet, and he'd already moved on to the other one, and uh, uh, this woman says to him. Uh, you know, have, have, have fun with your new girl. Does she know you only like the beginnings of things? Oh, and I feel like, you know, a lot of times in publishing, that's, you like the beginning, yeah, you like the beginnings of things, but it's with everything. I mean, you know, new music, uh, you know, there's a reason why when there is a new actor in a prominent role in a movie, they say, and introducing, it's like, Hey, you're seeing something new here. We found this for you and we're showing it to you. Remember, we're the ones who showed this new thing. And, and I feel like it's the same thing with novels. I feel like there is this, this sense, there's a sense of adventure, a possibility that it, you know, especially people who read a lot, 
tend, unfortunately, just just it's just the nature of the beast. They find themselves reading the same thing a lot. Yeah, of you know, course, they, yeah. not intentionally, but you just you find a formula. You just you find a formula, and then you're like, oh, I've I've read this kind of book before, but this is a debut novelist. Yeah. Maybe it's new. Maybe I've never seen this kind of story before. Yeah. You know, completely missing the fact that debut novelists are just as capable of crapping out a piece of hack work yeah. as anybody yeah. else is. Uh, but there is this belief. There is this feeling. Yeah. Um, you know, when somebody was once talking to me at a con and and was going on and on and, and I, I think was trying to impress me with how much he knew about the industry <laughs> and then made the crucial mistake of saying something about John Green uh-huh. and pointing out that, you know, John Green had gotten such a huge advance for his first book and blah, blah, blah. And I know John and John told me exactly what he got for that first book uh-huh. and you would be shocked at how little he got paid for that first book because he was nobody. Right. He wasn't John Green. Yeah. And this person... But people assume yeah. if something does really well that it, it must have been, been paid, paid for up front. And yeah. sometimes that's not the case. So I, I find that interesting that, I mean, you know, if you're a publisher, you know, pay a little for a debut novel. And if you right. can make it yeah. big, you make yeah. even more money. You yeah. Know? Yeah. It's kind of like celebrity books, too. Celebrity memoirs and things. Like when you hear some of the prices going around and it's like... I don't know. You could pay a little bit less and, and, and everyone I, would be happy. And I feel like, like, what was the last celebrity book that Probably changed things for people? Like the last, ce- maybe, maybe the last celebrity book that everybody was just gaga over. And that was what, a year ago, two years that ago? Was several years ago. Like yeah. That. I mean, yeah. since then there's been Amy Poehler's book and right. Mindy Kaling. So there's right. that sort of genre of like lady comedians right. that have but, all done but, well. But sir, they've done well, but have but they not, changed the cultural conversation at all so, the way yeah. like bossy pants did? Right. I don't you think know? so. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, yeah uh, it's, it's interesting. I, I, it's also funny, too, because I'm currently – I just finished recently a book that is a debut. It was a big – I'm pretty sure it was a big auction, mm-hmm. and it has had a ton of media coverage, and it's already being turned into a film, and I didn't like it. Yeah. And I – that's such a – it's such a bummer. Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah. So speaking of introducing things, this weekend we saw Captain America Civil War. Oh, my God. I know. I'm, I'm bringing up I can't believe you're bringing thing. this up. I know. Well, because I've been I'm thinking just, about this. I'm just surprised you remember the movie at all. Shut up. Because as we've discussed on this podcast, <laughs> your memory for such things is notoriously terrible. But go well, ahead. So um, the last time I saw, the last and first time I saw a Captain America film, um, I went along with you to the theater. You were that obviously- wasn't the last and first time. This is the third. See, this, this is, is how third? bad your memory is. But I don't think I saw the second one in theaters. No, you saw the second one in theaters. The first one we watched on DVD. Okay, so it was the second one. Okay. Yeah. I should say my first. <laughs> this is awesome. Oh, this I is know. awesome. I love it. I legit have the worst memory. I don't even know how I get to work in the morning sometimes, honestly. I, so I'm like, what train do I take? What train no. does um, I have a good sight memory, though. No, in all that's honesty. what it is. So I'm always no, like, that landmark. <laughs> I get off here. I'll go that way. <laughs> Siri, where am I? <laughs> anyway, so. The second time I saw a Captain America film, but the first time it was in theaters, right. was um, I was just tagging along with you. Right. And I remember saying, like, I think I was pregnant at the time, and I remember saying, uh, I'll just go for the popcorn. Right. Right. I'm <laughs> here know, for the whatever. popcorn. Yeah. And I freaking loved that movie. Yeah. So I was excited to go see Captain America again. Yeah. Um, the new one with you and with Barry and Libba. And, and it was a whole different movie. It was. <laughs> I wouldn't have remembered. They, right, they could have right. shown me the old one. I don't know. Um Anyway, and I was thinking later about how, isn't this funny? So, like, I'm I'm not you. I'm not a comic book geek. No. I don't have this 
I don't have the cultural comic book narrative that I grew up with. I don't have, obviously, the background. I don't have a closet full of comic books the way you do. I don't have any of those storylines. I am sure I missed 20% of the inside jokes going on in that film. Oh, you missed much more than 20% (laughs) of the inside jokes in that movie. The number of times I needed to lean over to you and be like, now, what's that guy's name? Right. Like, what, what is his superhero name? And right. you were like, Black Panther. And I was like, that makes sense. You know, like these stupid things. Because his costume is black and looks yes, like a panther. Yes, yeah, and, yeah co- no. comic books don't try to fool you with that kind of stuff. It's pretty much, pretty that guy kind of looks like a panther and his costume is black. I bet he's called Black Panther. <laughs> anyway, so I'm just thinking about how, like, what is it about, for me in particular, it's, uh, I like all of the Avenger movies. Yeah. Um, but I love the Captain America films. Like, right. What is it about comic books in general, do you think, that is so appealing to audiences right now? Um, even people who, like me, who don't necessarily right. have that background and would not classify themselves as a comic book fan, even, necessarily. I've never read a comic book. I've barely even read any graphic novels. Oh, boy. That's you a know, loaded question. It, 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 well, it's, it's a big question, and it's it's strange because... You know, it is weird as somebody who you know has been reading comics since he could read, you know, and, and was ostracized for it and mm-hmm. bullied for it and all that. Now to be in this world is very strange. I mean, every now and then I just kind of look around and go, oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> that, that happened. It's a different world, yeah. Um, so it's kind of weird. Um, I, I, I really think it's sort of the sense of wonder. I think there's nothing in the movies that hasn't been in the comics themselves for 75, 80 years. Okay. I think that it's just, for a long time, comics, you had to go to a special store to buy them. Those stores were not always, shall we say, uh, friendly, especially to those of the female persuasion. They were, they sort of, uh, you know, a lot of them had a reputation for being boys clubs. Yeah. Um, Not all of them. Please don't write in. Not all of them. So that, you know, right away you have 50% of the population yeah. who's like, nope, forget it, not going to get into that stuff. But, I, you know, com- the, the great thing about comics was always that they had an unlimited special effects budget. Yeah, yeah. If a writer could imagine it and an artist could imagine it, it, it could happen in a comic book. Yeah. You know? I mean, one of my favorite comics ever was The Great Darkness Saga by Paul Levitz and Keith Giffen. Literally, a god takes over a planet of people who all have Superman's powers. <laughs> he He completely takes over their minds. He makes them fly into outer space, use their heat vision on the planet to burn the planet until it is a planet sized bust of him. Oh my God. Like how crazy is that? And yet you can do that in a comic. Yeah. Um, you know, until recently you couldn't do that in a movie or if you did it, it would look stupid and cheesy. And I think that what happens is now that it's it's easy to go to the movies, you know, it's easier to go to the movies than it is to find a comic book sometimes. People are like, oh, my God, like, I can't imagine, you know, I've never imagined something like this. Like, you know, a character like Black Panther. Yeah. Like, wow, like, that's so cool. And it's just there's this there's 80 years of, of ferment and imagination hmm. to, to for these movies to dip into. And some of it's junk and some of it's crap. And some of it, you know, seen with modern eyes is incredibly offensive. Yeah. You know, that at the time everybody's like, Oh, that's really cool. And now you go, Oh, wait a minute. Oh, <laughs> can we pretend that didn't happen? Um, but the movies can skip over. They can cherry yeah. pick yeah. the good stuff yeah. and present it to you in big, bold fashion and just capture your imagination and make you go, wow. I am amazed always, um, the more I learn about comic books, the more it's really just about um, 
this possibility of reinvention constantly. So yeah. this isn't a spoiler, I hope. Cut it out if it is. But in this Captain America Civil War, you are introduced to a new Spider-Man. Right. He's a, a new That's kid. not a spoiler. Okay. Yeah. And I swear when, when like, that scene happened, and I was like, but there already is a Spider-Man. Yeah. He's, he's Tobey Maguire. He's, yeah. what's the other guy's Andrew name? Andrew Garfield. Andrew, I never saw the Andrew yeah. Garfield ones. So I was so like, but how can they do that? And then I was like, oh, right. This, they it's, do that all the time. You're just pretending that stuff didn't yeah, happen. Yeah. It's so funny. Until 30 years from now, they decide it would be cool to cross them all over. Right. Which yeah. is Which is seriously what happened in comics was in, in, in the 50s. Um, they figured, well, all the kids who are reading comics in the 40s have grown out of it, so we're going to reintroduce some of those old Got characters it. with yeah. new costumes and new names yeah. and give it a modern spin for today's kids. And then it turned out some of those kids from the 40s were, were still, still reading, reading them, it. and they yeah. wrote in and said, hey, what about that the Flash who had the funky helmet from the 40s? Mm-hmm. So they said, oh, he's on this other version of Earth right. called Earth 2, yeah. and our guy's on Earth 1. And then one day they decided, why don't we have them meet? Yeah, yeah. And, and a whole new storyline. Yeah. It opens up all new stories. In yeah. a way, it's kind of like soap operas. You know, that people have said that before, okay. that comic books, because they're just an ongoing story that's been you yeah. know, going on since forever, um, that, yeah, they have many similarities. You know, the, the joke is that if you are, you could just be the paper boy in a comic book, but if you stay in the story long enough, you will eventually turn out to be the son of an alien god right. with superpowers and has been reincarnated 50 times. Yeah. Because oh, that's just how it happens. Yeah. Well, and as I'm, you know, I'm someone who grew up on soap operas. My, yeah. my mom was always watching them and... Um, I watched them in high school and my friends all watched them and we used to talk about it all the time. And it was like, that was, you know, a creative outlet for, for me too. Cause right. we would actually like then write stories based on the soap operas and whatnot. But, um, but yeah, there was always this, this, like, you can do whatever you want. You can reintroduce characters and storylines and bring, bring people back from the dead on a regular sure. basis and oh, God, invent yeah. evil twins on a regular basis. And that's comics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Anyway, thanks for that. So, um, it's Mother's Day this weekend. Yes. Uh, I love being a mom. You love being a dad. Even though it's Mother's Day, I want to talk about being a dad. Because, oh, okay. <laughs> um, so I grew up with a dad, a traditional parent relationship. My dad worked full time. My mom didn't mm-hmm. until I was a little bit older and then she worked um, part time, like randomly. You grew up with both parents working. Uh, eventually, yeah. Okay, but I mean, initially it was just your dad? Yeah, I mean, my mom, when I was really young, my mom had, like, some kind of part-time thing that she did for a little while, but she didn't actually have a, you know, she did that on and off. She didn't actually have a job probably until I was uh, six or seven. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I, what's interesting is that both you and your brother... Have ended up becoming stay at home dads. Yeah. dads. I know. And you know, for moms, for moms, there are lots of role models in both pop culture and in people's families about what does it mean to be a stay at home mom? What does it mean to be a working mom? What does it mean to be a combination of those things? Whatever. There's not a lot of stay at home dad narratives out there. And uh, the Harvard Business Review had an, an article about what it's like when a stay at home dad goes back to work. Oof. Which I read with interest. Um, anyway, but it just got me thinking: like, who, who are your your dad role models? You know, it, it's funny because as soon as you started talking about this, I had a flashback to being a kid and the movie Mr. Mom. Oh yeah. At which you know, at the time, was funny because, because ha ha, uh-huh, look at what this a, jump. Well, yeah. not only that, but what a silly, what a silly premise. Well, yeah, a dad who has to take care of the kids and he ruins the laundry. Right. And, yeah, and, and I remember that scene very vividly. <laughs> 
and and I just remember him drying the baby's butt with the hair oh, yeah, in, yeah. in the bathroom, which I kind of want to do someday, just just so I can <laughs> say I've done it. You know, so yeah, there there aren't a lot of models for it in our culture, and the ones that there are tend to be the the comedy ones. Yeah, you know, three men and a baby, for right. example. You yeah. know, they're they're all played for laughs, like. Look at this. Look, look, look at these people with penises trying to be parents. And you know? even, uh, what was it? Daddy daycare. Daddy daycare. Yeah. yeah a yeah. more recent one. I just yeah. realized we were all, we were name yeah, checking things from the eighties. I know. Well, that's me. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, to, to a degree, my, my brother was sort of a, a, an influence because he'd been doing it for years. Mm-hmm. You know, my niece is, is older than Leia, uh, much older than Leia. Um, and so I had watched him, you know, sort of navigate and negotiate these things yeah. for, for years beforehand. And it sort of made me realize, oh, like, it's possible. Um, but I can't think of of any, you know, person in my life other than that uh, or anything that I saw on TV or yeah. in a movie or read in a book. I mean, I never really thought about it until you just asked. Are there, like... Are there blogs that you follow or... No. no? I just wing I, it, man. Yeah, no, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> I feel like I can... I feel like moms of any kind, so again, yeah. working, not working, part-time, whatever, are able to find um, mirrors of themselves. Right. And so I, on a daily basis, come across interesting things on Twitter or Facebook or wherever where I'm like, yeah, right on. That relates to me exactly in sure. terms of my mom stature. Um, but you probably don't feel like that. No, it's interesting because, yeah, I mean, there's the whole mommy blogosphere, yeah. you know, for better or worse in, in some cases. And, yeah, it feels like there's that, that whole system out there. But that also, I think, not not to, to uh, speak in too gendered a fashion, that feels like a very female thing. I mean, it, yeah, it, talk, you know, yeah. you know mm-hmm. the, the idea of creating a community, That's the, true. the idea of creating a network of support um, is something that, that to our detriment, Oftentimes, men generally don't do. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, there's the old boy network, of course. And now that I'm old, I expect to get my membership card any day now. <laughs> but in general, you know, in, in, in terms of, of that sort of thing, men just generally don't seem to fall into it, mm-hmm. at least not publicly. Like that, again, you know, I joked about the old boy network, but that really is how men do it. Of it's course, like, yeah. you know, the, the gentleman's club and the private clubs and things like that. But there, but there's not a sense of anybody is welcome to be part of this community um, that you see with with a lot of the the mom stuff. Yeah. Um, and and it's funny because I, I even as I realize that I would probably benefit from that and other men would benefit from it, there is a part of me going, oh, no, <laughs> that's weird and creepy and and icky and and I don't want to be part of that, um, which you know I'm sure is is my cultural indoctrination speaking. Yeah. But, but it's there. It's, you know, like, I think if there was, like, a big daddy blogosphere, I would run screaming from it, uh, you know? Well, because that's your, you're not a joiner. Well, but I, I feel like the fact there isn't a daddy blogosphere set tells me that it's not just me who's not a no, joiner. No, of course, yeah. You know? Although, go figure, you're the one who joined a stay at a, a dad's group. Yeah, we got together, board. like, four times, yeah. so. And I did not, so. Right, right. Anyway. So, yeah, I no, I mean, there's nobody out there. Yeah. I mean, and, and I, I mean, I think about that. I mean, I think about... What am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? Um, you know, most of my friends who are men don't have kids. Yeah. So there's, uh, you know, I can't really go to them for advice or commiseration. I mean, mm-hmm. they're happy to listen to me go, the baby wouldn't sleep last night. And yeah. Oh, man, that sucks. You know, you know, but they have no advice to give. Yeah. Um, and I don't know any other 
women, I don't know any other moms whose husbands don't work really out of the home. Huh? You work. FYI. I, I um, sort of work. Yeah. So like I'm uh, just in my own social circle. Yeah. I don't have that either. So it's funny. So basically I'm, I'm passive aggressively here implying that you need to start a stay at home dad's blogosphere. Well, it's funny no, because my brother and I had discussed the idea of starting a website or a blog or even just writing, collaborating on a series of articles about yeah. being stay at home dads. Um, and it just was one of those things that just fell victim to not having any time. Mm-hmm. But we talked about it. But then I also, you know, I mean, I, I got to be honest with you. Like, I, the things that we wanted to talk about, I started to feel like there would have to be so many caveats involved. Ah. Because we were going to talk about things that are sort of unique to being a male primary caregiver. Uh-huh. And I feel like in the current environment, when you talk about those things the immediate response of most people is to say, well, women have it tougher and you're just dealing with stuff women have dealt with for generations. And like, fine, that's all true. We're not saying it isn't. We're talking about just stuff that we're experiencing and we're feeling. We're not trying to say that this supersedes anybody else's feelings or experiences. There's my cynical husband. Yeah. And it's just, I don't know. We still might revisit it at some point, but it, uh, too late, man, too late. Mm-hmm. Oh, all that right. ship has sailed. Why has that ship sailed? Because no one reads blogs anymore. Oh, well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so speaking of being a stay-at-home dad, uh, we have a daughter. Yeah. Oh, God, you're right. I know. So, no, but listen, there are differences in how, again, culturally, they've been indoctrinated, indoctrinated mm. into us, how we raise girls and boys. Yes. I am very aware because I am paranoid so I find myself telling our daughter to be careful a lot. Uh, Those words, be careful, be careful, yeah. come out all the time. Because I'm like, she's running down that sidewalk. She's going to trip and fall and blah, blah, blah. So so I'm always envisioning, like I'm seeing all these terrible worst case scenarios sure, as she's sure. running around playing. I'm now trying to bite my tongue because I don't want to raise a daughter who's afraid to do things because she is a mom who has paranoid delusions about her safety. Right. So, so this is something that I'm always like, because it's a, it's a reflex for me. Me saying, be careful. Isn't like, I'm not planning on saying that. That's just a, it comes out of me every time I see something potentially slightly dangerous. Right. Uh, and then the New York times had an article a few weeks ago called, why do we teach girls that it's cute to be scared? Huh? Which is something that still happens. And so I've just been thinking more and more about, um, about how we, the, the things we don't even realize that we're doing in terms of raising a girl who is going to be scared or thinks it's cute to be scared or feels like she has to be worried about things or won't take risks because she right. has a crazy mom. So do you ever think about that stuff? Yeah. Oh, all the time, all the time. And I mean, I've talked about this so many times that I'm not sure if I've done it on the show or not. <laughs> okay. So if I have, I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself for anybody, but I read a thousand years ago, long before I ever imagined having kids, an article that there was a study that showed that fathers tend to be uh, rougher with their sons than their daughters when, yes. when they're young. Uh-huh. They'll roughhouse with the boys and, and toss them around and stuff like that, but they're very gentle with the girls. And there was a, a theory from this study that this may be why boys grow up more confident than girls. Mm. This may have something to do with it. And I read that and I said to myself right then and there, if I ever have a daughter, I'm going to be so tough with her and so rough <laughs> with her. And 
I think I've pretty much lived up to that. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, you do those fun roughhousing I, things with her that I, I don't do. Throw her around. I was dangling her upside down like really early uh-huh. on, um, you know, which freaked you out, but she loved it. Yeah, she did. Um, yeah. I would fly her around by like balancing her on one uh-huh. arm and fly her around, which I remember a friend of yours was over and I was doing that, and your friend freaked out and was like, "Oh my god, what if you drop her?" And I said, <laughs> "Well, I'm not going to, right, so don't yeah, worry about yeah. it." Um, I mean, I try so to I think do, about I rough that. house with her more. Oh yeah, that's what you she do gets now. Older, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, but I do. I do remember you saying that, and I feel like you do make a conscious effort to do it. I, I, I mean, I, I try. I yeah. mean, you know, I'm still her parent, and I'm terrified of her getting hurt. Of course, yeah. <laughs> um, but I really try to. Um, I don't know. I I, I try. I, I try. You know, physically to to be. You know. It sounds horrible to say tough on her, but you know to no, to, yeah, to, to, to play with her. To not, you yeah. know, not 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 to pull my punches. Mm-hmm. Oh God, that sounds really horrible. But <laughs> but uh, to not baby her, you know. Yeah, yeah, not yeah. not to baby her, and and also you know, I mean, obviously she's a baby. We 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 coo and we ooh and we yeah. ah and everything. But I try not to do it in such a like a. Oh, look how pretty you are. Such a pretty little girl. Little what, which you know, is so hard because she's thing. so pretty. Well, yeah, it's really tough. We all know? see Everyone just stands around and is like, you're so pretty. Wait, yeah. we shouldn't say that. You're yeah. so smart. <laughs> yeah, I, that's, that, my, my mom does that a lot. She's like, you're so pretty. And you're also very smart and very... Um, so, you know, I mean, I, I try, even, even when I'm praising her, I try not to do it in sort of a cutesy way. Yeah. Um, you know, I try to do it in a in a... I don't, I don't know the right term for I don't it. Either. I don't yeah. even know the right word for it. I was going to say neutral way, but that makes it sound like I'm, I'm praising her like a robot. And that's <laughs> she not would what actually it is. That. She, she, probably would, she probably would dig that. Um, I just, I try to do it in a, in, you know, in just a, in a, in a casual way. Yeah. Maybe, you know? And it's funny. I mean, obviously we don't have a, a son. Yeah. So we don't have a son to compare with. I, so. I have no idea whether I, if, if we ever have a son, am I still going to be that crazy? Be careful. Be careful. Well, be careful. but also, but see, here's the problem. And here's why you can never know. Cause it'll be, our it'll be the second, second child kid, and, yeah. and your attitude about the, the second child is, is so different. different. So if we were to have a boy, we might treat him very differently, but is that because he's a boy or, because, or is it because yeah. it's our second time being parents? Yeah. I don't know. I don't so, know. And we'll funny. never know. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's do a reading update. A reading update? Yeah. Book okay. recs, recent reads. Okay. What are you reading? What are you reading? I actually don't even know. Oh, so here, here's what I here's what I did. Um, I completely stumbled upon this. It's funny. We were talking about comic book movies before because I just read uh, a comic book series from the early 2000s that I missed when it first came out. Oh, cool. Uh, it was the series Plastic Man. Who is a hero from the 40s, but uh, they, they they were doing something new with him in the early 2000s, uh, written, drawn, colored, everything by this guy named Kyle Baker, who is just a phenomenally talented cartoonist. Uh, some people in comics are good at writing, some at drawing, some at coloring, some at inking. He's good at everything. He's just so good. And he did this series in the early 2000s, and I just missed it. I just never read it for some reason. And recently, Comixology had a sale. Oh, cool. Um, so I was like, oh, you know what? It's like, oh, 99 cents. I'll buy the first couple of issues. And I spent like five bucks on the first few. And then I'm like, screw it. I'm buying all of them. <laughs> so I bought the whole thing. It was under 20 bucks. I bought the whole oh, series. Awesome. And uh, and I just binge read it over the last like two or three oh, days. Nice. It was so much fun. Some really funny stuff. Some really, it, it looks like 
a kid's comic, but it has some very biting commentary to it. So it sort of reminds me of the old Looney Tunes cartoons Ah. where like kids are laughing at them, but the adults are really getting the jokes. And so that's what I read. I love it. I'll, I'll, I think the sale might be over, but I'll put links in the show notes anyway, uh, to the comiXology stuff. And also I think, uh, I think it might be, might've been republished as trade paperback. So I'll put links into those too. I, that was so much fun. Had a blast. Good. What about you? What are you reading? So I am reading, uh, speaking of sales, actually, the only reason I bought this book is because someone tweeted about it being on sale, the ebook. And I was like, okay, there was like three ninety nine or something. And I was like, fine. A bargain at twice the price. Yeah. It is Rosemary, the Hidden Kennedy Daughter by Kate Clifford Larson, a biography of Rosemary Kennedy. And you do not read a lot of biographies. I read zero biographies. <laughs> Unless they're of Lena Dunham. No, I don't read a Lena Dunham, but there isn't a Lena Dunham. Well, there's a memoir. She has a, a which selection is, which is of just essays. a fancy word for autobiography. It's a selection of essays. Continue. Speak um, of this Kennedy. And I, but I was going to say the only like the most similar book I've ever read is probably Willa Cather's Letters. Yeah. But again, that's an autobiography. Uh, anyway, I'm really obsessed with it, and you know, obviously, I know a decent amount about the Kennedys, but I don't know a lot. And I certainly don't know their rise. There's a lot There's to a lot know to about know. the Kennedys. That's, that's it's a complicated yeah. family. Um, and actually on the train the other day, as I, as I was reading, I was like, I think I need to go Google like family tree yeah. of the Kennedys just to like keep, cause there's obviously it's, you know, it's a biography. Uh, so there's lots of, <laughs> right. There's lots of names going on. So yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, struggling sometimes to keep them straight. But, um, Rosemary had, um, uh, had some some emotional and learning challenges, and this was in, at the turn of the century, really. Uh, well, in the sort of teens and twenties, and there weren't diagnoses for those kinds of things, right. and there weren't certainly weren't treatments for them, even, no matter how wealthy you were or how much time and effort your parents were putting into it. So, um, so there's a lot to there's a there's a lot to talk about with it, and it's a really really fascinating look at at her life. And so far, it's um I'm not that far into it. Um, at this point in the book, Rosemary's only I think like 16 or 17 years old. So there's a lot to go still. Yeah. But um, but I was really struck by uh, and I mentioned that I tweeted this the other day. So those of you who follow me on Twitter may may have seen it. But um, Rosemary had a lot of sisters and of course a lot of brothers. There were nine kids all together. And one of them is named, was named Kathleen and Kick for short, which I just thought is such a cute nickname. It's just such an awesome nickname. Kick Kennedy. I'm like all I about feel, it. I feel like that needs to be like a series of uh, middle grade novels, like Kick Kennedy yes. and uh, whatever. Yeah, like, like fill solving in the blank. mysteries or yeah, something. Exactly. I don't even know. But but there is a year. With her like, her like magic telescope or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> there, there was a year where they all went abroad to London and um, Kick and Eunice had their um, like official debut into London society. Oh. And I want someone to write YA historical fiction about <laughs> Kick in London. And I'm like all about it right now. So anyway, it's a, it's a really great book. All right. So on those positive notes, those are some solid book recommendations for people, I feel like. I mean, and so similar. I know, right? <laughs> a comic and a biography. Go for it. Um, so that's it for the, for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. You can visit us online at writinginreallife.com. And uh, don't forget to rate us and subscribe to us in iTunes and follow us on Twitter at WIRL Podcast. Have a great week, everyone. Bye. Bye.